0: Chapter 3, Part 2 of Celebrated Crimes, Volume 2, The Massacres of the South. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by John Van Stan, Savannah, Georgia. Celebrated Crimes, Volume 2, The Massacres of the South by Alexander Dumas. Chapter 3, Part 2 monsieur de lalande put himself at once at the head of a strong detachment of michelettes and forced the woman to walk before them till they reached the cavern which they never would have discovered without a guide so cleverly was the entrance hidden by rocks and brushwood on entering the first thing that met their eye was the wounded about thirty in number the michelettes threw themselves upon them and slaughtered them this deed accomplished they went farther into the cave which to their great surprise contained a thousand things they never expected to find there. Heaps of grain, sacks of flour, barrels of wine, casks of brandy, quantities of chestnuts and potatoes, and besides all this, chests containing ointments, drugs, and lint. And lastly, a complete arsenal of muskets, swords, and bayonets, a quantity of powder ready-made, and sulfur, saltpetre, and charcoal. In short, everything necessary for the manufacture of more down to small mills to be turned by hand. Lalande kept his word. The life of an old woman was not too much to give in return for such a treasure. Meantime, Monsieur de Villars, as he had promised, took up Baron d'Aglieres in passing through Lyon, so that during the rest of the journey the peacemaker had plenty of time to expatiate on his plans. As Monsieur de Villars was a man of tact and a lover of justice, and desired above all things to bring a right spirit to bear on the performance of the duties of his new office in which his two predecessors had failed he promised the baron to keep as he expressed himself his two ears open and listen to both sides and as a first proof of impartiality he refused to give any opinion until he had heard monsieur de Julien, who was coming to meet him at tournon when they arrived at tournon monsieur de Julien was there to receive them and had a very different story to tell from that which monsieur de villars had heard from d'agliere according to him the only pacific ration possible was the complete extermination of the commissards. he felt himself very hardly treated in that he had been allowed to destroy only four hundred villages and hamlets in the upper cevennes assuring de villars with the confidence of a man who had studied the matter profoundly that they should all have been demolished without exception and all the peasants killed to the last man. So it came to pass that Monsieur de Villars arrived at Beaucaire, placed like Don Juan between the spirits of good and evil, the one advising clemency and the other murder. Monsieur de Villars, not being able to make up his mind on reaching Nimes, d'Agliers assembled the principal Protestants of the town, told them of his plan, showing them its practicability, so that also joined in the good work and drew up a document in which they asked the marechal to allow them to take up arms and march against the rebels, as they were determined either to bring them back into the good way by force of example, or to fight them as a proof of their loyalty. This petition, which was signed by several nobles and by almost all the lawyers and merchants of the city of Nimes, was presented to Monsieur de Villars on Tuesday, 22nd April, 1704, by Monsieur de at the head of seven or eight hundred persons of the reformed religion m de villars received the request kindly thanked its bearer and those who accompanied him assuring them that he had no doubt of the sincerity of their professions and that if he were in want of help he would have recourse to them with as much confidence as if they were old catholics he hoped however to win the rebels back by mildness and he begged them to second his efforts in this direction by spreading abroad the fact that an amnesty was offered to all those who would lay down arms and return to their houses within a week. The very next day but one, Monsieur de Villars set out from Nîmes to visit all the principal towns in order to make himself acquainted with men, things, and places. Although the answer to the petition had been a delicate refusal, D'Agliers was not discouraged, but followed Monsieur de Villars everywhere. When the latter arrived at Allais, the new governor sent for Monsieurs de la landa and de baville in order to consult them as to the best means of inducing the commissards to lay down their arms baron D'Agliers was summoned to this consultation and described his plan to the two gentlemen as he expected both were opposed to it however he tried to bring them over to his side by presenting to them what seemed to him to be cogent reasons for its adoption but de la landa and de baville made light of all his reasons, and rejected his proposals with such vehemence that the marechal, however much inclined to the side of D'Aglières, did not venture to act quite alone, and said he would not decide on any course until he reached Ouse. D'Aglières saw clearly that until he had obtained the approbation of either the general or the intendant, he would get nothing from the marechal. He therefore considered which of the two he should try to persuade and although de Baville was his personal enemy, having several times shown his hatred for him and his family, he decided to address himself to him. In consequence, the next day, to the great astonishment of Monsieur de Baville, d'Agaliers paid him a visit. The intendant received him coldly but politely, asked him to sit down, and when he was seated begged to know the motive which had brought him. Sir, replied the baron, You have given my family and me such cause of offense that I had come to the firm resolution never to ask a favor of you. And as perhaps you may have remarked during the journey we have taken with Monsieur Le Maréchal, I would rather have died of thirst than accept a glass of water from you. But I have come here today not upon any private matter to obtain my own ends, but upon a matter which concerns the welfare of the state." I therefore beg you to put out of your mind the dislike which you have to me and mine, and I do this the more earnestly that your dislike can only have been caused by the fact that our religion is different from yours, a thing which could neither have been foreseen nor prevented. My entreaty is that you do not try to set Monsieur Le Maréchal against the course which I have proposed to him, which I am convinced would bring the disorders in our province to an end stop the occurrence of the many unfortunate events which I am sure you look on with regret, and spare you much trouble and embarrassment. The intendant was much touched by this calm speech, and above all by the confidence which Monsieur D'Aglières had shown him, and replied that he had only offered opposition to the plan of pacification because he believed it to be impractical. Monsieur D'Aglières then warmly pressed him to try it before rejecting it forever, and in the end M. de Baville withdrew his opposition. M. D'Aglier hastened to the marechal, who, finding himself no longer alone in his favourable opinion, made no further delay, but told the baron to call together that very day all the people whom he thought suitable for the required service, and desired that they should be presented to him the next morning before he set out for Nimes. The next day, instead of the fifty men whom the marechal had thought could be gathered together, D'Aglieres came to him followed by eighty who were almost all of good and many of noble family the meeting took place by the wish of the baron in the courtyard of the episcopal palace this palace says the baron in his memoirs which was of great magnificence surrounded by terraced gardens and superbly furnished was occupied by monseigneur michel ponce de la riviere he was a man passionately devoted to pleasures of all kinds especially to music, women, and good cheer. There were always to be found in his house good musicians, pretty women, and excellent wines. These latter suited him so well that he never left the table without being in a pleasant humor, and at such a moment if it came into his head that any one in his diocese was not as good a Christian as himself, he would sit down and write to Monsieur de Baville, urging that the delinquent ought to be sent into exile. He often did this honor to my late father." M. D'Agliers goes on to say that, on seeing such a great number of Huguenots in the court, who were all declaring that they were better servants of the king than the Catholics, he almost fell from his balcony with vexation and surprise. This vexation increased when he saw M. de Villiers and M. de Baville, who had apartments in the palace, come down into the court and talk to these people. One hope still remained to him. It was that the marechal and the intendant, had come down to send them away but this last hope was cruelly disappointed when he heard monsieur de villers say that he accepted their service and expected them to obey d'agliere's in all matters concerning the service of the king but this was not all that had to be accomplished arms were necessary for the protestants and though their numbers was not great there was a difficulty in finding them weapons the unfortunate Calvinists had been disarmed so often that even their table-knives had been carried off, so it was useless to search their houses for guns and sabres. Taglières proposed that they should take the arms of the townspeople, but M. de Villars considered that it would offend the Catholics to have their arms taken from them and given to the Protestants. In the end, however, this was the course that had to be adopted. Monsieur de Perrette was ordered to give fifty muskets and the same number of bayonets, to Monsieur d'Aglier, who also received, as the reward of his long patience from Monsieur de Villars, before the latter left for Nîmes the following commission. We, Maréchal de Villars, general in the armies of the king, etc., etc., have given permission to Monsieur d'Aglier, nobleman and Protestant of the town of Ouse, and to fifty men chosen by him to make war on the camisards, signed Villars, given at Ouse, the 4th of May, 1704. Hardly had Monsieur de Villars set out for Nîmes than Dagliers met with fresh difficulties. The bishop, who could not forget that his episcopal palace had been turned into barracks for Huguenots, went from house to house threatening those who had promised to countenance Daglier's plans, and strictly forbidding the captains of the town troops to deliver any weapons to the Protestants. Fortunately, Dagliers had not accomplished so much without having learned not to draw back when the road grew rough so he also on his side went about confirming the strong and encouraging the feeble, and called on M. de Perret to beg him to carry out the orders of M. de Villars. De Perrette was happily an old soldier whose one idea was that discipline should be maintained, so that he gave the guns and bayonets to D'Agliers on the spot, without a word of objection, and thus enabled the latter to start at five o'clock next morning with his little band. Meantime, de Baville and de Lalande, had been reflecting what great influence D'Agliere's would gain in the province should he succeed in his aims, and their jealousy made them resolve to forestall him in his work by themselves inducing Cavalier to abandon his present course. They did not conceal from themselves that this would be difficult, but as they could command means of corruption which were not within the power of D'Agliere's, they did not despair of success. They therefore sent for a countryman called Lacombe, in order to enlist him on their side. For Cavalier, when a boy had been his shepherd for two years and both had remained friends ever since. This man undertook to try and bring about a meeting between the two gentlemen and Cavalier, an enterprise which would have been dangerous for anyone else. He promised first of all to explain to Cavalier the offers of monsieurs de Baville and de la Lande. Lacombe kept his word he set off the same day, and two days later appeared before Cavalier. The first feeling of the young chief was astonishment, the second pleasure. Lacombe could not have chosen a better moment to speak of peace to his former shepherd. Indeed, says Cavalier in his memoirs, the loss which I had just sustained in Naga was doubly painful to me because it was irreparable. I had lost at one blow not only a great number of weapons, all my ammunition and all my money, but also a body of men inured to danger and fatigue and capable of any undertaking besides all this i have been robbed of my stores a loss which made itself felt more than all the others put together because as long as the secret of the cavern was kept in all our misfortunes we were never without resources but from the moment it got into the possession of our enemies we were quite destitute the country was ravaged my friends had grown cold their purses were empty a hundred towns had been sacked and burned The prisons were full of Protestants, the fields were uncultivated. Adding to all this, the long-promised help from England had never arrived, and the new marechal had appeared in the province accompanied by fresh troops. Nevertheless, in spite of his desperate position, Cavalier listened to the propositions laid before him by Lacombe with cold and haughty front, and his reply was that he would never lay down arms till the Protestants had obtained the right to the free exercise of their religion firm as was this answer Lelanda did not despair of inducing cavalier to come to terms he therefore wrote him a letter with his own hand asking him for an interview and pledging his word that if they came to no agreement cavalier should be free to retire without any harm being done him but he added that if he refused this request he should regard him as an enemy to peace and responsible for all the blood which might be shed in the future This overture, made with a soldier's frankness, had a great effect on Cavalier, and in order that neither his friends nor his enemies should have the least excuse for blaming him, he resolved to show everyone that he was eager to seize the first chance of making peace on advantageous terms. He therefore replied to Lalande that he would come to the bridge of Avennes on that very day the 12th May at noon, and sent his letter by Catanat, ordering him to deliver it into the hands of the Catholic general himself. Catenat was worthy of his mission. He was a peasant from Caille, whose real name was Abdia Morel. He had served under Marshal Catenat in Italy, the same who had maintained so gallant a struggle against Prince Eugene. When Morel returned home, he could talk of nothing but his marshal and his campaigns, so that he soon went among his neighbors by the name of Catinat. He was, as we have seen, Cavalier's right hand, who had placed him in command of his cavalry, and who now entrusted him with a still more dangerous post, that of envoy to a man who had often said that he would give two thousand livers to him who would bring him the head of Cavalier, and one thousand livers each for the heads of his two lieutenants. Catinat was quite well aware of this offer of Lalande's, yet he appeared before the general perfectly cool and calm, only. Either from a feeling of propriety or of pride, he was dressed in full uniform. The bold and haughty expression of the man who presented Cavalier's letter astonished the general, who asked him his name. "'I am Catinat,' he answered. "'Catinat!' exclaimed Lalande in surprise. "'Yes, Catinat, commander of the cavalry of Cavalier.' "'What?' said Lalande. "'Are you the Catinat who massacred so many people in Beaucaire?" Yes, I am. I did it, but it was my duty. Well, exclaimed Monsieur de Lalande, you show great hardihood in daring to appear before me. I came, said Catinat proudly, trusting to your honor and to the promise that Brother Cavalier gave me that nothing should happen to me. He was quite right, returned Lalande, taking the letter. Having read it, he said, Go back to Cavalier and assure him that I shall be at the bridge of Avennes at noon accompanied only by a few officers and thirty dragoons i expect to find him there with a similar number of men but answered Catinat, it is possible that brother cavalier may not wish to come with so poor a following if so returned lalande then tell him that he may bring his whole army if he likes but that i shall not take a single man with me more than i have said As cavalier has confidence in me, I have confidence in him. Catanat reported Lalande's answer to his chief. It was of a kind that he understood and liked, so leaving the rest of his troops at Massan, he chose sixty men from his infantry and eight horsemen as escort. On coming in sight of the bridge, he saw Lalande approaching from the other side. He at once ordered his sixty men to halt, went a few steps farther with his eight horsemen and then ordered them in their turn to stop and advanced alone toward the bridge lalande had acted in the same manner with regard to his dragoons and officers and now dismounting came toward cavalier the two met in the middle of the bridge and saluted with the courtesy of men who had learned to esteem each other on the field of battle then after a short silence during which they examined each other lalande spoke sir said he the king in his clemency desires to put an end to the war which is going on between his subjects and which can only result in the ruin of his kingdom. As he knows that this war has been instigated and supported by the enemies of France, he hopes to meet no opposition to his wishes among those of his subjects who were momentarily led astray, but to whom he now offers pardon. Sir, answered Cavalier, the war not having been begun by the Protestants, they are always ready for peace, but a real peace without restriction or reserve, they have no right i know to lay down conditions but i hope they will be permitted to discuss those which may be laid down for them speak openly sir and let me know what the offers are that you have been authorized to make to us that i may judge if we can accept them but how would it be said lalande if you were mistaken and if the king desired to know what conditions you would consider reasonable if that is so answered cavalier I will tell you our conditions at once in order not to prolong the negotiations for every minute's delay as you know costs someone his life or fortune then tell me what your conditions are returned lalande well said cavalier our demands are three first liberty of conscience secondly the release of all prisoners who have been condemned to imprisonment or the galleys because of their religion and thirdly that if we are not granted liberty of conscience we may be at least permitted to leave the kingdom as far as i can judge replied Lalande, i do not believe that the king will accept the first proposition but it is possible that he may accede to the third in that case how many protestants would you take with you ten thousand of all ages and both sexes the number is excessive sir i believe that his majesty is not disposed to go beyond three thousand then replied cavalier there is nothing more to be said for i could not accept passports for any smaller number and i could accept for the ten thousand only on condition that the king would grant us three months in which to dispose of our possessions and withdraw from the country without being molested should his majesty however not be pleased to allow us to leave the kingdom then we beg that our edicts be reenacted and our privileges restored, whereupon we shall become once more what we were formerly, his majesty's loyal and obedient servants. Sir, said Lalande, I shall lay your conditions before Monsieur Le Maréchal, and if no satisfactory conclusion can be arrived at, it will be to me a matter of profound regret. And now, sir, will you permit me to inspect more closely the gallant men with whose help you have done such astounding deeds?" Cavalier smiled, for these gallant men, when caught, had been broken on the wheel, burnt at the stake, or hanged like brigands. His sole answer was an inclination of the head as he turned and led the way to his little escort. Monsieur de Lalande followed him with perfect confidence, then passing by the eight horsemen who were grouped on the road, he walked up to the infantry, and taking out of his pocket a handful of gold, he scattered it before them, saying, "'There, my men!' That is to drink the king's health with not a man stooped to pick up the money and one of them said shaking his head it is not money we want but liberty of conscience my men answered lalande it is unfortunately not in my power to grant your demand but i advise you to submit to the king's will and trust in his clemency sir answered cavalier we are all ready to obey him provided that he graciously grant us our just demands if not we shall die weapon in hand rather than expose ourselves once more to such outrages as have already been inflicted on us your demands shall be transmitted word for word to monsieur de villars who will lay them before the king says lalande and you may be sure sir that my most sincere wish is that his majesty may not find them exorbitant with these words monsieur de lalande saluted cavalier and turned to rejoin his escort but cavalier wishing to return confidence with confidence, crossed the bridge with him and accompanied the general to where his soldiers had halted. There, with another salute, the two chiefs parted, Monsieur de Lalande taking the road to Uzès, while Cavalier rejoined his comrades. Meantime, Dagliers, who, as we have seen, had not left Uzès until the 5th of May in order to join Cavalier, did not come up with him until the 13th, that is to say the day after his conference with Lalande. Dagliers gives us an account of their interview and we cannot do better than quote it although it was the first time that we had met face to face we embraced each other as if we were old acquaintances my little band mixed with his and sang psalms together while cavalier and i talked i was very much pleased with what he said and convinced him without difficulty that he should submit for the sake of the brethren who could then choose whichever course best suited them and either leave the kingdom or serve the king i said that i believed the last course to be the best provided we were allowed to worship god according to our consciences because i hoped that seeing their faithful service his majesty would recognise that he had been imposed upon by those who had described us as disloyal subjects and that we should thus obtain for the whole nation that liberty of conscience which had been granted to us that in no other way as far as i could see could our deplorable condition be ameliorated for although cavalier and his men might be able to exist for some time longer in the forests and mountains they would never be strong enough to save the inhabitants of towns and other enclosed places from perishing upon this he replied that although the catholics seldom kept a promise made to those of our religion he was willing to risk his life for the welfare of his brethren and the province but that he trusted if he confided in the clemency of the king for whom he had never ceased to pray no harm would happen to him. Thereupon d'Agliers, delighted to find him so well inclined, begged him to give him a letter for Monsieur de Villars, and as Cavalier knew the marechal to be loyal and zealous, and had great confidence in him, he wrote without hesitation the following letter. Monseigneur, permit me to address your excellency in order to beg humbly for the favour of your protection for myself and for my soldiers. We are filled with the most ardent desire to repair the fault which we have committed by bearing arms not against the king, as our enemies have so falsely asserted, but to defend our lives against those who persecuted us, attacking us so fiercely that we believed it was done by order of his majesty. We know that it was written by Saint Paul that subjects ought to submit themselves to their king, and if, in spite of these sincere protestations, our sovereign should still demand our blood. We shall soon be ready to throw ourselves on his justice or his mercy but we should monseigneur regard ourselves as happy if his majesty moved by our repentance would grant us his pardon and receive us into his service according to the example of the god of mercy whose representative his majesty is on earth we trust monseigneur by our faithfulness and zeal to acquire the honor of your protection and we glory in the thought of being permitted under the command of such an illustrious and noble-minded general as yourself to shed our blood for the king this being so i hope that your excellency will be pleased to allow me to inscribe myself with profound respect and humility monseigneur your most humble and obedient servant cavalier d'aglaire as soon as he got possession of this letter set out for nimes in the best of spirits for he felt sure that he was bringing monsieur de villars more than he had expected and indeed as soon as the marechal saw how far things had gone in spite of everything that lalande could say who in his jealousy asserted that D'Aglières would spoil everything he sent him back to cavalier with an invitation to come to nimes D'Aglières set out at once promising to bring the young chief back with him at which lalande laughed loudly pretending to be very much amused at the baron's confident way of speaking and protesting that cavalier would not come in the meantime events were happening in the mountains which might easily have changed the state of mind of the young chief the Comte de Tournon, who was in command at Florey had encountered Roland's army in the plain of Morte, and had lost two hundred men a considerable sum of money and eighty mules loaded with provisions the anxiety which this news caused to monsieur de villars was soon relieved for six days after the defeat he received a letter from cavalier by the hands of la combe the same who had brought about the interview on the bridge of Avennes. in this letter cavalier expressed the greatest regret for what had just happened d'agliere therefore found cavalier in the best of humours when he joined him at tarnac the first feeling that the young chief felt on receiving the invitation was one of stupefaction, for an interview with the marechal was an honour so unexpected and so great that his impression was that some treason lay behind it. But he was soon reassured when he recalled the character for loyalty which the marechal bore, and how impossible it was that D'Agliere should lend himself to treachery. So Cavalier sent back word that he would obey the marechal's orders, and that he put himself entirely into his hands in what concerned the arrangements for the interview. Monsieur de Villars let him know that he would expect him on the 16th in the garden of the convent of the Recollets of Nîmes, which lay just outside the city between the gates of Beaucaire and the Madeleine, and that Lalande would meet him beyond Carrirac to receive him and to bring him hostages. End of chapter 3, section 2, reading by John Van Stan, Savannah, Georgia